You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. From the 45-yard line, Manning fires downfield for Russell Shepard, and the former Panther makes the catch. He was not touched. Touchdown, Giants! Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Hey there, Grump. Hello, everybody. I am looking – I'm in Bend, Oregon right now, looking at some beautiful mountains, very serene. Something I all recommend everybody have a serene thing in their life when dealing with this giant team for 2019. So I'm very relaxed. I woke up sick this morning, so that's the uh, <laughs> perfect – like. Uh, what a fitting end to this season is to just be ill. Um, but, you know, that's that's sort of the story, right? This is this is the last game of the year for the Giants who have clinched not making the playoffs fairly early. Um, potentially the last time we see a bunch of faces, right? I mean, Eli Manning, no, nobody's for sure certain, but it seems Eli Manning, it seems Pat Shermer. There's a number of you know, lasts here today. Yeah. I mean, I think the Eli thing is, I don't think you're going to see him play. Uh, you know, I think going out on that, you know, the way he did two weeks ago in that last home game, I think that's good enough. Uh, yeah, no, he's, there's really no need. Let's put it this way. They're not going to put him in for a token appearance. If we're getting blown out or we're doing the blowing outing. I don't think that's kind of a little, that's a little insulting, um, you know. I but he will be in uniform. He'll be there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess he's still a captain, right? So he goes out for the coin toss in the beginning. Does he do that still? Um, he is a captain. I don't know how that works exactly because only three guys go out, and there's like six captains. So mm-hmm. I think the coin toss group is chosen before each game. Um, and I would think almost certainly he'd go out there. I would agree with that, yeah. And you know something I think we've kind of cool? I mean, he's not a captain, but I would like to see him and Daniel Jones go out there together. It's kind of like the official you torch know, passing. Passing the torch for. I mean, it's already kind of happened, but you know, I, I think that'd be kind of a, you know, this is all about symbolism and all about, you know, the future and stuff. I think that'd be a, a nice move to do. Yeah, I mean, it would be a nice move, but I think also we expect that if Daniel Jones is the franchise quarterback, that he will become a captain, right? I mean, like... Oh, I I would expect him to be a captain next year. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, it, beyond the symbolism, I think it's might also be necessary for him to uh, just go out there and do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's a very awesome responsibility of, you know, standing there when somebody else says, tails on the other team, but <laughs> yeah, hey, it's all about hey, We've seen this year that fucked up by other teams. So you know, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we, we, we mock this, but until he goes out there and he says fucking with the wrong end zone to, to cover or, you know, it says to defer instead of receive, you know, then it you becomes a story. Then we have to have a whole fucking episode about it. You know, Oh, let's boy. not let's yeah. not mock that. Yeah, if we if it comes down to where we lose a game by one point and 
It's all because it could all be traced back to the coin toss. Then we'll come back oh, to yeah. this moment. I'll have to dig up this this recording. It's a mess. <laughs> um, but it 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 is interesting because you know at four twenty five at at the Meadowlands, the Eagles are coming into town, and um, you know we've talked the last couple weeks about do we tank? You know, as an organization. And uh, what that means is what's kind of going on in in Washington right now, where Terry McLaurin and Landon Collins have been ruled out. Um, I don't think either of them has a significant injury, but um, you know, we we kind of talk about that, and you know what a win means, and who it saves, and what a loss means, and who it damns. Uh, but this is an actual game where last week was very much strictly about draft order. Right, I mean, like that—that that was the only true consequence. Nobody's job was saved or lost by that game. But what's interesting about this game is this isn't about draft order. Philadelphia is playing for a playoff spot. They have every incentive to win this game for immediate purposes, not draft order. I mean, like really to get into the playoffs, they want to win this game. And uh, I'm not saying should or shouldn't, but. What it would mean if the Giants were to win, be the team that is truly trying to win. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that really – we've been saying it on this show that we think Pat Shermer's fate has been sealed already. We think the decision's already been made. We don't think that two meaningless – two victories over bad, bad teams in various stages of tanking make any difference for his job. One thing that he could, if he has to go to Mara's office and beg and plead for his job is, has his team quit on him or not? And I do not think during this whole season that has not been the case. And I think this is definitely a game where if this team, you know, they lose, they lose. They're not as good as, uh, as Philly. We know that. But if they put up a fight and they see intensity and effort and desire to win – if not on the execution side, that is something he can say, look, I still have this team. That means something. We've seen a lot of coaches that are dead men walking where their teams have quit on them. And, you know, like we've been saying that players don't tank and coaches don't tank on purpose for draft picks. You know, if they're going to try on Sunday and for the people that paid good money to go and they want to, for those who still buy into winning every game and, you know, Philly is a rival. You want to beat your rivals and stuff. They play hard. That's something that he can definitely uh, have a conversation about. Whether it will save his job or not, that's a different story. But let's see what this team does and how they react. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's as good as gone. But I agree. It, it's something he can walk into um, Mara's office, Tish's office, and, and explain that um, this wasn't – a meaningless victory. I mean, this was a, a game that Philadelphia had had every reason to win and they couldn't do it or it was down to the wire or whatever, whatever he wants mm-hmm. to say. Whereas well, the team, when you, a team is still buying into what he is selling and what he is trying to do. That's the biggest you, thing. You compare it to last year, right? Last three games last year, they lost every single one of them. In week 17, a Dallas team had already clinched and had no, didn't have Elliot or Prescott playing. So you compare that to this year and let's just say that they're able to knock Philly off on Sunday. That you could say is an improvement. 
I mean, last year's Dallas team is not the same as this year's Philly team. We know that. We know Philly's not as good as that. Um, but it is still it's it's about effort, right? I mean, it's about who's showing up to play and a team that has nothing to play for versus a team that has everything to play for. It should be the Giants on the losing side on Sunday. But if it's not, it's something he can hold his hat on. Mm-hmm. Um we'll also see a, a couple of uh some interesting things here. So so uh Rhett Ellison and Scott Simonson are ruled out which means that rookie Caden Smith um, has a chance to continue building on his uh, resume from this year. And uh, that's important, right? I mean, I I kind of singled him out a little early on as being surprising. And Mm -hmm. then uh, it's really – he's continued to build on it, but it's got to keep happening. I mean, he he is not a kind of guy you look at and you say, well, he's got all the potential and all the skills in the world. He kind of doesn't. But he's he's shown up. If he continues to show up, I mean, there's you know you can't really hit his hit him with any criticism. But he's he doesn't blow you away athletically or anything like that. That makes you think his ceiling is super high. So he's got to keep showing up, and he'll get another chance on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Hey, one thing I'm curious about, and I've noticed it, and just reading this week, you know, prepping for this is uh, where's Wayne Gallman been lately? I mean, that's kind of been an ongoing story is how he's been a healthy scratch week after week now. Um, I'm not sure how many weeks it's been, but it's been a couple that he's been a healthy scratch. It seems that he is a um, prior regime casualty, I guess. I mean, that's I the only thing I can think of. I, I, I think that he played well when he had to come in. I think that he has something he brings to the table. I don't know that he's a number one running back. I don't. I don't think so, but... I don't think there's any harm in having him as a number two. Uh, right. That's what I'm curious about. Just kind of someone like him who was, you know, was getting carries, just kind of just seems to have fallen off the face of the earth. And again, it's not because, you know, Barkley is running 40 carries a game or something. It just seems like he's just kind of been a forgotten man. It's it's certainly very interesting because I mean the healthy scratch that that comes from the coach it doesn't come from the GM so he should have correct I mean maybe maybe some minor biases about you know the fact that he was there when he showed up but I it I don't know it's interesting to me I, I'm not sure what it is maybe he's not showing something in practice I I don't know yeah just something. Uh... You know, maybe we'll get an explanation, you know, further on down the road. But it's just interesting that he's just not, you know, he's not cracking this lineup at all and then getting any playing time. So it's weird. Um, but we'll also get a chance to see more Nick Gates at right tackle, I would assume. Mike Remmers is out with concussion symptoms. Um, right. Nick Gates came in last week, performed well. It's weird. I, I'm not sure. For me, when I look at Nick Gates, I think he's a great backup. He's a guy that comes in. Gets the job done. But I don't know that I want him... I, I know this offensive line has been so bad for so long that I think some Giants fans are seeing him as like, oh, maybe he's the answer at right tackle. He could be. I just don't know that that's what you want as your answer. I mean, I, I, I'm i not trying to shit on the guy. I just, you know, we're rebuilding here. And if if we're on the, the draft board, clock is on, and there's a really good right tackle there... I think you should take him and don't count on Nick Gates to be 
your right tackle. If there's a great right tackle in free agency and you have the money and there's interest there, I think you should take him. And I think it's I think it's a good thing to have Nick Gates be your first guy off the bench because I mean, I can't remember many teams that have gone 16 plus games with all five of their starting offensive linemen healthy. Right. The biggest the biggest problem with this team on this offensive line in the last couple of years has been depth. You know, yeah, you know, we've had some guys having to play, you know, Eric Flowers was not good. You know, we've had guys to you know, poke in guys when we had to, but the problem is depth and he might be the answer as part of the rotation for this. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Right. I mean, yeah. we need to have quality if somebody needs to sit out a play or a series or a half or a game that the drop-off is negligible. And you're right. There, there is a difference in this league between who is a starter and who is a backup. But you know, if you're trying to build your roster and trying to build a championship roster, you need, a, you need to have a second team on your lines to be ready to play at a moment's notice. And a guy like him is very valuable. Just don't overvalue what his value is. And, but we'll see. Let's just keep seeing him play and develop and see what happens, you know, plays where into the team next year, you know, an off season through strength and conditioning and, and, and who knows, but um, he's a, he could be a valuable unsung piece to the puzzle that needs to be built. You'll, you'll have to help me out here because I don't quite remember, but I know the 2011 Super Bowl team, Will Beattie was the left tackle. He had to go to IR for uh, – he had like a detached retina or something really strange. And Dave Deal finished out the season at left tackle. Um, I don't know where Dave Deal was playing prior to that. Was he playing guard? Did they shuffle up like the I whole think, offensive line? Wasn't he like the right guard at the time and they moved him over? Something like that. It was really weird. But the point I'm making is is how valuable and important depth is. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that we had the versatility of Dave Deal to – to move over and sub in wherever the hell he was playing because I can't remember. Um, <laughs> We're getting old. We don't remember these things. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I, I feel like he was at left guard, and Snee was at right. I, I don't. I'm not quite sure. Um, but we had we had the depth to come off the bench and still be a Super Bowl team. That is important. That's that's, you know, what separates the great teams from the good teams is mm-hmm. next man up. You know. Um, sure. Or even the good teams from the not so good and the not so good from the terrible. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we, we need to crawl before we can run. And building up depth is just as important as getting elite talent as well. Because the elite talent's only as good as having them on the field. If, you know, if we saw it this year, you know, you have a Barkley who's elite. He goes down, you don't have, you know, capable backups. Your running game is going to falter quite a bit, and it's a bigger problem on the offensive line. So, oh, it's, it's encouraging that a guy. Line, yeah. it, it, it's an encouraging thing to have a guy like Gates kind of, you know, step up this year, given his opportunities, and that just helps us down the line. Yeah, and um, well, I, I guess it's important to address that uh, Black Monday is the day following the game, so. Um, it's it's kind of the day where the pink slips go out, and I guess Pink Monday didn't really go over as well as Black Monday, but <laughs> pink slips go out to NFL coaches, GMs, assistant coaches throughout the league. Uh, 
around this time. And um, now, you know, Giants fans obviously would be honed in on whether or not Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman keep their jobs as well as James Betcher. Um, but they should be keeping their eye on other coaches around the league as well. I mean, we already know uh, Jay Gruden and Ron Rivera are on the market. Mike McCarthy as well is another very big name. Um, but there's other guys out there that could be surprises. You know, we're gonna have we could we could potentially have three coaches in our division who are gone, or rather, three teams in the division looking for head yeah. coaches. So I mean, we could potentially have four. Oh, I think Peterson's safe. You think Peterson is safe? Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think a Super Bowl win gives you an extended leash over you know what a normal coach would have. Um, but I think, you know, they keep performing like they have this year and last. I think you will see a hot seat start. Philly is not a town that, you know, just says, well, you're safe forever because you won a Super Bowl nine years ago. I think, you know, another year of, of 2019 performance by the Eagles and you can definitely see a hot seat. But I, I, I would be absolutely shocked if he was gone. It's it's interesting too because there's a there's still a chance that Dallas goes to the playoffs and fires Garrett, but it won't be Monday, you know. <laughs> That'd be something. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, one thing I do want to say, and I want I wanted to say this last week, and I thought about it right after we finished recording, is going back to Dave Gettleman, and we're talking about Black Monday, and we were saying that we think that. Gettleman will be back, and the the narrative from the media is he'll be given one more year to write the ship. And I I am strongly adamant against that type of proclamation or statement by Mara. I think a general manager, more so even than a coach, if you tell him he's staying, he is staying. Now that may not be he may be fired after next year but I think if you have a mandate that you have one more year to write the ship I think that's where you see you know the problem the Giants have had for the last several years them chasing after short-term fixes overspending to get make a you know a quick splash to all of a sudden go from a four-win team to try to be a nine-win team or something with no regard for a what Gettleman is trying to done by save the salary cap and get rid of guys and build draft picks and just trying to make a playoff run next year to save his job. So I really hope that first of all, I think the Gettleman should be back. Not because I love the guy because I think what the type of build he's doing needs to keep going. You can't evaluate for another couple of years, but if he comes out and says he has one more year or something, I am just afraid of, that scenario, which does more long-term damage than, you know, keep doing what he's doing. However unpopular the moves he may be doing is doing. Your thoughts? No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, especially when you go into a year where he has finally the capability to use the cap space that he created. When you say you've got one more year to figure this out, well, then that's when the big contracts go out that hurt you long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you. It's a... Uh, we're seeing improvement. Keep going, you know, and and that's just it. You leave it open ended. You know, it could fire you at any moment, but I think it's working. Yeah. Go, you know, and I, I have a lot of respect for um, certain media members. I, I think that Jordan Rainon is a uh, is a 
he's he's not well liked, but I think that he's a good reporter. He writes good articles, and I think he wrote a bad one. So I'm going to kind of go through it really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, he listed six reasons that Dave Gettleman could lose his job. Basically, thick, six decisions that he made that could be the nails in the coffin, I guess. And I thought that of the six, five of them were not well explained enough and whatever. So his number one reason was – well, they're not they're not in any sort of priority order, mm-hmm. but he just listed them. Gettleman brazenly, brazenly boasted about taking running back Barkley with the number two overall pick, and Giants never seriously contemplated a trade out of the spot. What if somebody offered multiple first-round picks? What if the Jets at number three wanted to move up one spot to guarantee that they would get their quarterback? The Giants might have been able to move down one spot, collect assets, and still take Barkley. It didn't matter. Quote, the Browns went Baker. We were taking Saquon. End of discussion. All right, let, let's let, let, let's analyze let's analyze this. Hey, Mike. What if I married a millionaire? Yeah. What if I married a supermodel? If my if my sister had balls, she'd be my brother. I mean, it's yeah, exactly yeah. First of all, there's there's two things to, to to dissect with this. One, what he actually said, and B, what actually happened. Mm-hmm. I have never heard a GM ever say something like. Well, we weren't sure, but we decided to take him. I mean, every GM always, whether it's a head coaching hire or a draft pick, was always like, this was our guy. You know, it, of course he's going to say that. So, confidence is everything. Right. Well, the, the thing confidence is. Confidence in, in the fan base, in the ownership, in the players that we know what we're doing. That's what you want to hear. Yeah. You want to know that this is part of the plan. You don't want to say, well, really, we wanted. We wanted Mayfield, but we'll take what we can get. That sucks. Nobody wants to hear that. And also, so never even mind the fact that, you know, I know fans buy into what coaches and GMs say and believe it and take it as gospel, but the media shouldn't. I mean, that's yeah. whatever they say is irrelevant. The second piece of this is we don't know what was offered and not offered. We don't know anything. I mean, GM war rooms and everything, they're not government agencies. There's no sunshine laws where every phone call, every text, every conversation has to be documented for the public to know. I mean, it's very possible that these offers were out there and he said no. It's very possible these offers were not out there. I mean, we we just don't know. So making up, like you said, hypotheticals for things, you know, to prove a point that they someone made a mistake is is ridiculous. So this number That's one, my biggest I, point here. I mean, silly. Your confidence point is is really important, but for me, you can't come at me and tell me that the reason he should be fired is a what if. You don't if if you told me that you knew you had evidence that people wanted to make a trade and he didn't consider it. Fine, we can argue about that. We're not going to argue about what ifs. It's just so silly. It's well, very dumb. All, the other thing too is we're in the end of year two. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't make an evaluation about. Baker Mayfield or Sandarno or or Barkley or anybody yet. I mean, these guys may turn out to be Hall of Famers. They may turn out to be Achilles Smith. We we don't know yet. So if we're firing guys because of hypotheticals and the infancy of these guys' careers, that's crazy. Yeah. The number two reason he listed is that the Giants made Beckham the highest paid wide receiver, signed him to a five year ninety million extension in twenty eighteen. They traded him nine months later. 
The reward was paying Beckham $21.5 million for one year of pedestrian production, incurring $16 million in dead cap space this season. The Giants have more than $40 million in dead money this year, a mind-numbing number. Okay. Let's so stop right there. We'll, <laughs> well, we, well, I mean, that's the end of it. We'll we'll put Beckham aside for a second and just attack the $40 million in dead money. That is not his fault. That is him literally trying to make something of what he was given, right? I mean, like most of that dead money is coming from contracts that were given to JPP that he didn't give out, Olivier Vernon, etc. I mean, that dead money is all part of his problem, not his solution, right? Yeah, but, you know, but here's the thing about dead cap money. If you are a team – where 2019 is not the goal to compete. Right. Who cares? Exactly. I mean, everybody makes it's such a big money, deal about so. the dead cap money. Well, it's, it's also the thing. It's like it's money that they weren't going to use in 2019 to make this team. If they weren't in a position to grab a, a key free agent or be able to pick someone off off waivers or something like that, where it's it's even an issue. I mean, now is the time you burn your dead cap when you when, when you suck. Not, I mean, you suck. So everybody who thinks, you know, and I, and I think I saw another article too about this where it's like that cost them for 2019 wins. It's like, well, who cares? Four wins or six wins, this was not the year we were competing anyway. So the whole dead cap thing, dead cap means you take the hit now, but it's gone after this yeah. year. So you suffer through a year where, you know, you pile on the dead cap money. You're not going to be able to get much. It's very hard to get guys anyway. So you just – you deal with it for a year, you take it on the chin, you move on next year. So this exactly. whole dead cap thing is silly. Yeah. As far as signing Beckham and then trading him, I mean, it's one of those things where when you're in a rebuild, everybody's on the table to be traded. Nobody is truly safe. And look, Beckham signed his own death wish. I, I would love to have his production, you know, on this team, but you know, showing up in interviews sitting next to Lil Wayne is it's a bad look, you know, and well, that's yeah, one thing, but then bad-mouthing your quarterback, that's the bad look. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, the thing just... also is the production. What's his production been this year? Well, I mean, that's a whole other argument. It, they, their coach is a numbskull. Right. Um, you know, we don't have a numbskull they, coach? They, <laughs> we, sure. we, have a, we have a rookie quarterback with a numbskull coach. Uh, you know, it's – so um, the the point is you're not giving away Jerry Rice this year for what actually turned out for this year. And oh, by the way, he's been a distraction again this year. He's already said, you know, that he's tried to walk back, that he wanted to be out already. So it's it's the same nonsense you would have still would have had. Uh, yeah. You know, everything is a snapshot in time. When you signed him, is a snapshot in time. That doesn't mean that the situation, the circumstances, will stay static like that for the life of the contract. Things change. And quite frankly, they, they made a decision to change the culture of this team, and they, they felt that he was more of a headache than a, you know, an asset. The fact that yeah. if, GMs, if GMs and coaches you know, don't admit mistakes or don't deviate from the original plan, that's a bigger problem for me than guys who just kind of you know, go either do tweaks to their original plan or do 180s. You know, it, and I get it. Beckham's very popular. And Gettleman is not popular. And so that just exacerbates the you're lying and all that nonsense. But you know something? At the end of the day, let's evaluate this trade on 
how good Peppers is, what happens with these draft picks, what is Beckham like in the future, is he a, you know, all these different things. And again, too early to tell after one year. Exactly. And that, that so I, I want to bring that up, but like it kind of bridges the gap into his number three, which is that Gettleman got an offer he liked from the Browns for Beckham and never shot it to the 49ers who were interested to see if they would beat it before making the deal. Okay, fine. But I think leaving out what he got from the Browns is important. I think Jabril Peppers was an asset that he wanted and has shown life. I mean, like when you look at what this team is. So this this all comes down to what what draft picks are and what they're not, right? Draft picks are investments. They don't always pan out. Eric Flowers is a perfect example of what a number 9 pick could be. The draft you know, pick of, the draft pick is a bigger asset than the pick that's made with the draft pick. And it's even more so in basketball than football, but having those assets of draft picks has a currency all its own. Right, but when you have the chance to trade for a player that is a known quantity, right? You have a chance to get Jabril Peppers, and he fills your safety role. That, to me, you know what he is, and you know what he could be. Mm-hmm. That's that's in, that's more important than a safety you get in the draft. You know, maybe maybe that third round pick that you got for Beckham uh, turns into the safety of the future. Maybe there's no safeties on the board in the third round. When you get Peppers, you get a safety. A good safety, a young good safety on his rookie deal. You also get a first round pick and a third round pick. I think it's important to know that Peppers was part of the deal when he didn't shop to the 49ers. You know, well, maybe then, he should have dangled it over to them. Do we even know that, that he didn't shop to the 49ers? Is that just right on just speculating it? The 49ers were pissed that they didn't get any phone calls back. Well, again, that also could be sour grapes. That also could be. You know, putting their spin on it too. We don't know. The bottom line is, we don't know every conversation of every GM to every other GM. So, I'm gonna take that one with a grain of sand as well. And also, if you yeah, like the deal, you like the deal. This this isn't like there's no like equivalent of a Rooney rule. You have to make at least three offers to make a trade for other teams. You go, what you, you you think is right. Yeah. Again, I think Peppers is part of that deal. It's something that the 49ers really can't offer. Um, you know, maybe they would have thrown in a decent defensive end or something. But, I mean, in the end, I think it would have been the same. A player that's a known quantity and two draft picks. And it just depends on the player. If he likes Peppers, he likes Peppers. I don't have a problem with the deal. And I don't think that he loses his job because Gettleman got an offer he liked from the Browns for Beckham and never shopped it to the 49ers. You know what I mean? Like, when he comes into Mara's office, I, I can't imagine that's, you know, one of the reasons that he's getting fired. Uh, number four was the Giants brought back Eli Manning at ages 37 and 38 for $33 million over the past two seasons when their roster screamed rebuild. They were trying to win while simultaneously restocking their roster. I mean, you see where I'm going with this, right? This is this is a dumb reason. Well, first of all, his salary was exactly 16th out of the starting 32 quarterbacks. So his bringing him back is you're paying basically with a market average for a quarterback. So it's not like they brought him back at $50 million or something. It was just – that's what it was. And what's the alternative if they weren't drafting a quarterback in Latin 2018? Who's going to play quarterback? Yeah. I mean, exactly. What, 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 Again, I this, I this comes back to what you're doing with your money. And if you're not using that money to win – free agency is not the way to rebuild the team. It's draft picks. Mm-hmm. So you know that $33 million gets you – fuck. 
It gets it's nothing. Also, it's also flexibility too, because all and all we're saying about all of this is all about flexibility. Like tanking for the first overall pick doesn't mean it's one specific player. It gives you flexibility to do things. With Beck, right. actually, with Manning's contract, if things would have played out differently. There was something on the board, on the an option where they could have actually extended him one more year and taken that cap money and spread it out another season. That's a, right. an option they could have had, which they couldn't do by just getting rid of him. So, exactly. you know, could have Manning played a little longer this year? Did they? Was he kind of thrown under the bus a bit? Was he a bit of the scapegoat for the bad start? Yeah, possibly, but you know, if they an alternative universe would have been, he just would have started the rest of this season. Maybe they won an extra game or two without playing a rookie, and you know, whatever. So again, that's another silly one. Uh, number five is Gettleman didn't trade Landon Collins, three-time Pro Bowler, at the trade deadline last season. Instead, he allowed him to hit free agency, which brings at best a compensatory draft pick in 2020. There would have been a market for Collins. The Redskins traded a fourth-round pick for a less talented safety in HaHa Clinton Dix at the 2018 trade deadline. When he, when they hit free agency in, Mar- in March, the market revealed that Collins had a far superior value. Signed a record deal for a safety, six years worth $84 million. And Clinton Dix signed a one year for three million. Okay, right, wait, wait, so, wait, 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 stop. Let's stop right there. We're trying <laughs> to compare what we did to a more ineptitude, an inept right. uh, team like the Redskins who didn't value in a trade properly and then overvalued in free agency. So that's stupid. Exactly. Yeah, well, and not only that, but <laughs> fails to mention that the compensatory pick is probably a third round pick. So. What you're talking about is trading a player for probably the same thing. Yeah. And not all third-round picks are, are are equal. I understand a compensatory pick is at the bottom of the third round. The third-round picks that you have to play around with, those are – you know they come first. Um, I, I, I don't have a problem with – again, we're, we're talking about minutia at this point. These, these aren't job-killing moves. You can, you can debate yes. either way. And I have no problem if you say in, in in itself, you know, I would have done this. That's fine. If you wanted to exactly. get if, get rid of Eli, that was fine. If you think we shouldn't have traded Beckham, that is fine. But even all these things in the aggregate are not fireable offenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's next? The last one is the only one I agree with. the The season, this season, the Giants were two and six. Gettleman traded with the Jets, spend, sending a third round pick in twenty twenty and a fifth rounder in twenty twenty one, which could actually turn into a fourth rounder for impending free agent defensive lineman Leonard Williams. He doesn't have a sack in seven games with the Giants and costs the team draft capital. Desperately needs to fill holes in the roster. I agree with that one. I don't. You, I don't see the, the the intelligence in that. I I agree with you about that, but he's being a hypocrite. He's like they desperately need draft capital, but is blasting the Beckham trade, which brought us. Draft capital. Draft capital. More draft yeah. capital than just the value of Beckham in itself. So let's you know, let's be consistent on our arguments. If draft capital is the end all be all, then scratch off that one thing about Beckham. And you know, this this Williams thing also this was this is definitely was a head scratching move. Um it also I think it's kind of a to be determined. I mean, is Betcher the head coach uh, the defensive coordinator next year? Are we still at a 3-4 next year? I mean, there are decisions that this team is going to have to make before free agency starts that he might decide to stay here. You know, I, I don't know. It's not as clear cut as A, which assumed we're going to lose him, and B, he may be better fit for a better system that comes here. 
you know, they made this trade. We know we said how coaches' fates have been sealed already. They already may have had in their mind Gettleman yeah. and maybe Shermer and, you know, and Mara that Betcher wasn't coming back next year. Or there's going to be a scheme already. So they started doing little subtle things to plan for the future without him. Now, that's a bit of a dice roll. And I think you have to sometimes roll the dice when you're in a desperate situation. So I don't think it's all just incompetence and just making a foolish thing. I think there was some more thought to it, a little more uh, chess playing than checkers. Yeah. And and to be fair, on the flip side of that, there's we've seen in other teams and other sports even GMs and coaches outsmarting themselves, overthinking mm-hmm. situations as well. So, you know, again, I don't think it's complete unintelligence, but it may end up biting them. It may be overthinking it and it may be playing chess. I don't know. Um, but again, out of six fucking reasons, one, one that I agree with. I mean, I don't know. Well, also, even if the Williams thing doesn't pan out, it's not going to sink this franchise for the next 20 years. There's no Kaplan vacation after this. The worst case scenario is they're going to lose one or two, you know, two draft picks out of it for Mm -hmm. taking a shot for something. So it's not the end of the world. It's not drafting Sam Bowie instead of Michael Jordan. I, you know, we're we're talking big picture stuff here. This is all kind of the stuff that we're going to talk about throughout the entire off season, especially Monday when we get any news about the uh, firings, hirings, etc. Real um, quick uh, prediction. Yeah, I was going to say I, I would be remiss if we didn't end the season without a prediction. Um, I I can go first. I I think that yeah. uh, we lose. <laughs> I, I think the. I think this game is a little bit closer than people think, though. I, I think that our pass rush has come on strong. I think Philly's offensive line is weak. Their wide receivers are weak. Their quarterback is a little um, scattershot. You know, he's a bit of a wild card. You don't know which Carson Wentz is going to show up. And I think that this game is pretty tight until the end. Philly pulls away. And um, I think it's something along the lines of like 24-20. Yeah, you're kind of thinking a little bit like I'm thinking. I think this game can go one of two ways. We can get our doors blown out really early, and this becomes really ugly, or we hang around and have the potential to win at the end. Um, hopefully this is the end of the losers lose era in giant football. Um, if this game hangs around towards the end, we will find a way to lose. <laughs> you know, I just think we just do not have a coach – who can handle tight situations. He does not have the, you know, the time management skills, when and when not to use uh, replay, all those type of things. He's too reactive to situations instead of proactive. He doesn't outfox anybody. He gets outfoxed. I think, you know, when you get to the, a, a close game against a playoff bound team, those things impact you negatively. And, you know, I think, I think uh, Saquon Barkley's going to have a little trouble running today. It's a really good run defense. I think they're third in the league in, in run defense. He only needs 89 yards for 1,000. I don't know what a priority this organization and coaching staff and Barkley has on force-feeding him to get his 89 yards. We'll see. We'll know pretty quickly. I don't think he's going to get um, it. i got to be honest. This is a really good Philly yeah. defensive line. Yeah, I, I'm going to put this at a loss. I think it's going to be – 28-21, uh, they lose because they give up, again, big plays in the secondary. The same thing, 
that's killed them all year. And you're going into the offseason, it's just going to make fans more inflamed about Betcher, the secondary, and everything. But um, even with the lack of receivers they do have, you know, they, they may come at three tight ends against us, which we can't handle anyway. Hmm. I'm going to go 28-21. There you go. That's our uh, that's our last prediction, last last game prediction um, of the of the season. So, Mike, it's been a it's been a real fun season. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a joy. <laughs> so, I guess um, next week I will be traveling to Miami for the Orange Bowl game is Monday night. So, I do not know when we're going to record our Week 17 review show. Maybe. Uh, because Tuesday is New Year's Eve, uh, we'll we'll figure it out. We'll, we will have one up at some point. Yeah, I, I have a feeling we'll have to do a Black Monday show. So if if the cranky fan is unavailable to do it as it happens, I can always do a real quick one with my immediate thoughts, and then we can get to it when we get to it. You know, um, but but there will be something when it happens. Yeah, worst case scenario is I'll I'll call in and we'll do it or something. We'll figure out something. Yeah. But but we'll we'll have our immediate reactions uh, available. If and when, I guess. Yeah. But for now, we've got a game on Sunday. Let's go Giants. Go Giants.